0: our brother Chris Sayles from Canada to that theme of therefore what manner of persons ought you to be and our particular topic tonight is judgment and we with pleasure invite our brother Richard Hillhouse from the Charleston New South Wales Ecclesia to lead us in the reading of Luke chapter 16. It's just the first 13 verses Luke chapter 16. Thanks Richard. Well, brothers and sisters, we've been well served by our brother Chris Sayles from Canada to that theme of therefore what manner of persons ought you to be, and our particular topic tonight is judgment, and we're very glad now for Chris to speak to us to that subject. Thanks. Thanks, Brother Andrew. I'd uh, just like to begin tonight by uh, saying hello to uh, my parents and children back in Canada. They're online, hopefully, and uh, got up early this morning, or their morning, and uh, are watching online, uh, which has been a great opportunity. I've heard from more than one person how uh, they've taken advantage of that, and it brought to mind that really there's so much that goes on in the conference uh, that's sort of behind the scenes, and I uh, just like to take the opportunity to to acknowledge, you know, between the, you know, the recording of the sessions and broadcasting them onto the net uh, all the teaching of our, our young people and, and children, uh, all the various committee work, the the food preparation, the, all the organization that goes on. Uh, it really has been an amazing week and I've been uh, astounded at all the, the, the sort of behind the scenes work that uh, that has been going on. I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, the other thing, just before we get into uh, tonight's topic, is uh, I continue to appreciate all the, um, the feedback and the discussion. Uh, from the, from the various sessions, and it's just fantastic. It's one of the really benefits of, of a conference environment where we've got our heads around God's word and we're thinking about things and we're discussing it together. Uh, yesterday, or I guess it was uh, two days ago, we were uh, talking about uh, hospitality. And uh, this quote was shared with me, and I just want to, it's a nice uh, sort of bridge from uh, last class to this one. So I'm just going to read this to you. It says Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining. Entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless. The food must be well-prepared and abundant. The host must appear relaxed and good-natured. Hospitality, by contrast, focuses on the guests, their needs, whether for a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or acceptance are of first importance. Hospitality can happen in a messy home. It can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. It can even happen while the host and the guest are doing chores together. Don't be afraid to offer hospitality just because you are too tired, too busy, or not wealthy enough to entertain. And I thought that was really appropriate based on our discussions last time. You'll remember we were in uh, in Luke chapter uh, 14 and 15. And uh, we finished up. I've got this here. We finished up in, uh, in Luke chapter 15 with the, uh, the parable of the found. And uh, we'd come down to the point where there were two sons, and uh, the one had been lost for a while, uh, but was then found. And at the end of Luke 15, you'll recall that the father appealed to the older son, who was angry about the reception back of the younger son, and uh, the father went out to him, appealed to him that it was appropriate that they should be uh, celebrating the, his brother's return, and uh, is kind of left uh, at that moment. And so the, the, the chapter 15 ends, your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Now, in my mind, I, I feel at that point the, 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 uh, the father would have appealed to his older son to, to join him. But he wouldn't have waited for him necessarily, and he would have turned and gone back and joined the festivities in in the home. And we're left with that older son. Wonder where he went. And uh, if you remember, I mentioned to you that we would see him again uh, tonight when we look at chapter 16. This is a challenging parable, and uh, initially I was planning to do all of chapter 16 tonight, and there was just so much in this first parable that uh, we're not going to get past the parable of the unjust steward. And we're going to see the older son here, I would suggest. You'll notice that chapter 16, we know the chapter breaks are for our convenience. They aren't there in the, in the original. And here it just continues, and he said unto his disciples, there was a certain man, rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Oh, we've seen that word before. It's exactly the same word here in chapter 16, verse 1, that this steward had wasted his master's goods. As we saw in, uh, in chapter 15 and verse 13, speaking of the younger son, where it says the younger son gathered together and, and took his journey to a far country and there wasted his substance in riotous living. Only this time, brothers and sisters, in chapter 16, it's someone that's in the house. He's in the house. He's the steward of the house, but he's wasted his master's goods. And we saw that that older boy, despite all the fact that he had felt that he had served his father all these years, he'd never done anything wrong, and yet he wasn't anything like his father. He was angry, he was bitter, and uh, I would suggest to you he had been wasting his father's goods. Perhaps he hadn't thought that he had, but here he is in chapter 16, now the steward of the house, and he's being accused of being wasted his goods. wonder how he wasted them. Have, have you thought about that? How, how, how does this relate to us? How could we be in the house? How could we be working in the Lord's field? How could we be busying ourselves uh, in the truth, as we call it, and yet perhaps wasting our master's goods? And not even, not even noticing it, not even recognizing it, being surprised when uh, this accusation is made. Time and energy, perhaps, um, spent on, on self uh, you know, really, it's, it's all about us. We're, we're, we're doing things, we're, we're, we're raising children, we're working in the ecclesia, but maybe the focus is wrong. Uh, perhaps it's misdirected zeal. We think we're busy, but we're really just spinning our wheels, as it were. Uh, the analogy's been been uh, made to um, uh, perhaps a uh, young employee who's, who's brought into uh, work in, in, a, in a shop of some sort, and his job is to sweep the floors. And the boss makes it very clear. I'm going to pay you X number of dollars an hour, and I want you to keep the floors immaculate. Well, while he's busy about sweeping the floor, he thinks, oh, wow, these, these shelves could be restocked. Oh, I could do all... And he, and he works through his lunch. He works overtime, and he re- repackages the shelves, reorganizes things, labels things, and thinks that he's, you know, really, really been busy, and his master's going to be pleased with him. And the boss, in fact, finds him... It's, it's, it's a disaster. He's made a mess of things because he didn't do what he was told. Oh, he was busy... But perhaps he was wasting his master's goods because he wasn't doing what his master asked him to do. So we see here then this steward who was accused of of wasting his master's goods. And he's called called before his master in verse 2. How is it that I hear of thee that thou hast of this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. Uh, Just sort of by by way of um, introduction to this parable, I think... There's, there's a couple of key things we're going to have to take away uh, tonight from our, from, our, uh, from our class. And we've got a quote here from 2 Corinthians uh, 5 there. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether good or bad. There's two key, key things, brothers and sisters, and that's why we title it In Judgment. Uh, we were going to deal with the second parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which is even more about the judgment seat in that sense. But but here we've got in Luke 16, the first parable, it is about giving account. Brothers and sisters, we're going to give account of our stewardship. And we're going to finish tonight where we did there in in verse 13. We can't serve two masters. We have to choose which master we're going to serve and serve him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we're going to have to give account for those things. And, And part of this parable is going to be, okay, we're going to give account... What about along the way when we make mistakes? Because we're going to make mistakes. How are, we going to, how are we going to respond to that? That's going to be important to look at tonight. And we can't serve two masters, so decide who you're going to serve. And commit to it. Don't waver. Don't be double-minded. Decide who you're going to serve and then and give it all you've got. Now, as we've said, you've perhaps found this, uh, this parable challenging and, and maybe not really understood uh, what it was about. I want to say right at the beginning what it's not about. All right, and just sort of clear that one off. This parable that Jesus told is not encouraging us to, to rip off one person, to be devious with one person, uh, so that we can do ourselves to somebody else. He's not, he's not commending that kind of behavior. Uh, he's not saying that it's okay to take advantage of one person for the benefit of another. It's not about, um, you know, unethical business practices, Okay, that's what it's not about. So let's just kind of kind of clear that off the table. So what is it about? There's a certain rich man here, and, and we'd, we'd have to, to say that that's God or his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we're, we're uh, stewards to. Uh, the concept of stewardship here is quite a, a, an important one. Um, you think of individuals uh, like Joseph in the house of Potiphar or perhaps Daniel in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it's, it's a very strong word. It's a manager. It's an overseer. Um, and interestingly enough, the word has to do, uh, is connected also to our stewardship of the word, a preacher, someone who, who, who administers things. We're going we're to close tonight with a passage from Matthew that talks about our stewardship and what we're doing with our time here. And so you've got this passage here, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Moreover, it was required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithfulness, integrity, honesty are important characteristics of stewards. And when you think of someone like Joseph, I think that that speaks volumes. Uh, There's another passage here, Titus 1, verses 7 to 9. A bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. Not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality. There's a nice connection for us from the last class. A lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. It's a very, very important scriptural theme, and obviously applies whether you're a brother or a sister. The things in which you have oversight of, what God's given you in in, in this life, both spiritually and and perhaps materially, how it's being used to to benefit the master. And what's your attitude about that? How, how How do you see your relationship to that? So we come to this one who's been accused of wasting his master's goods, and, and we're not sure what how exactly he did that. As he's been caught out, brothers and sisters. He's he's been something's been 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 come un, come undone and he's been found out. How's he gonna react? So verse three. The steward said within himself, What shall I do? It's a great question. We've been talking to the teenagers about asking good questions. This is a great question. What shall I do? When we make a mistake in our walk on the truth, when we trip up, great question. What should I do? He has an idea. He says, my Lord's going to take away my stewardship from me. I cannot dig. To beg, I am ashamed. Now, I'm not sure what you thought of that. Uh, In my mind, before I'd sort of looked at this closely, I thought he he didn't want to go do manual labor, and he didn't want to sit by the roadside begging uh, because he was the steward, a a fairly prominent and and uh, influential position. And that may be true in the parable, but I suggest to you there's so much more here, and especially for us from a, uh, a, a spiritual and a practical level. I cannot dig... Interesting, this word. And where else you might think, okay, where else have we seen the idea of digging? You don't have to turn it up, but we'll make a note. It's only used in two other places in Scripture. One's in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, and it's talking about the wise man who digs a foundation. You know, the wise man built his house upon a rock. Digging for a foundation, some, some solid, uh, uh, you know, some, some, something we can build our life upon the Lord Jesus Christ, his principles, what he stands for. This one wasn't willing to, to dig. It, we looked at the other place, it's in, in Luke 13 verse 8 with the young people today, where the, the uh, vine dresser was going to, uh, to dig around the fig tree that didn't produce fruit and, and, and fertilize it and take care of it that it might produce fruit. This man wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't willing to... In other words, this is a positive thing that, that could have been done, and he's not willing to do it. it. It meant hard work. Digging for a foundation, much easier to build a house on sand. It, much, it takes much less time. Um, you know, working with, with in God's house, digging about the uh, the the, 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 um, the fig tree or the vines that, that need tending, that sounds like hard work. Not understood in hard work. This, this individual wasn't willing to do what he had to do to to. to to serve his God, to serve his master. He wasn't willing to beg. We looked at this the other night, just back a couple of pages in Luke chapter 11, where it says, if a son asks his father for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if you ask for fish, would you give him a serpent? It's that word Ask. This man wasn't willing to ask. It, it's actually, the word beg there is, is, we can see it in sort of a petition, uh, but, but it's the idea of asking. What could have this man asked for? What could he have dug for if he wanted to put in sincere effort in his master's house? Was he unwilling to ask his master for forgiveness, perhaps? Much too proud for that. This, this individual uh, had had no desire to humble himself to change his ways to make amends and to seek forgiveness he could have it, it, it seems the master said there you know t- you got to give account of your stu- stewardship you'll no longer be steward but but what if he asked for forgiveness what if you know give me another chance i'll do the right thing i'm willing to work i'm willing to dig i'm willing to 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 work in your service please forgive me he wasn't willing to dig. He wasn't willing to beg. Because for us, brothers and sisters, the, the, the question isn't so much, will we make a mistake? Is there some point in the future where we're going to, to sin and make a mistake? That's inevitable. The question is, what are you going to do when that happens? What are you going to do? And, and don't take the response here or the, the, the example here of the unjust steward. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. Be willing to work and dig that for that, that strong foundation that can, you can build your, your life on. That's the key. So this man has another idea, a humanistic idea. So here he goes. I'm resolved what to do, he says in verse 4, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he has a plan, and he's, he's going to try and get in with, with some of his... His, uh, the debtors, to his, uh, his master. Verse 5, So he called every one of his lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. And he called to another, How much thou owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. Just as a little aside, did you notice that the one bill was cut in half and the, only, the other one was only reduced 20%? I mean, this guy was shrewd. He knew exactly how to play the game. You know, I'm not sure why he made the dis- distinction between the two, but maybe the one, he, the, he, he analyzed the guy's character and he figured he could, you know, didn't have to rip the one off as much as the other. I'm not sure. But he was, he was shrewd. It says wise in the King James, but as it was read tonight, um, shrewd. The next interesting word here, brothers and sisters, is the word bill. Take thy bill and sit down and write whatever. Um, it's, the, it's the Greek word "gramma," from which we get grammar or writing. Um, it's used in scripture of, of exactly that scripture. Second uh, Timothy 3.15, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof. That word scripture is this same word. And it just opens this parallel up a little bit, doesn't it? It's, it's all about spiritual things. This man was deceitfully using the word of God. And I thought of the Pharisees who may have been listening in on this. We know that a lot of uh, Christ's words were, were directed to them. And, and Jesus, in another place, uh, says this of them. It's in Mark chapter 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship for me. Worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and uh, many such things like things do ye. Uh, this, the context of this is the Corban Law. You remember the Corban Law. God's law said, honor your father and your mother. But the, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, said, oh, well, you know what, if you take all your extra money that could have gone to your parents to look after them, you give it to the temple, well, that, that excuses you from, from this, uh, this law of, of looking after your parents. And, and Jesus condemns them here, that they'd made the word of God of none effect. They had, they had taken the bill and written less, right? And, and instead of taking God's word at face value of, of um, honoring their father, and them, they found a workaround. That's what this guy's doing. He's, he's dealing deceitfully. And, and they would have been, a, you know, if, if that was an individual, says well, because somehow, you know, giving that money to the temple, he probably got it back somehow, probably got a tax return or something. All right? So he'd be thankful to that. Oh, thanks for kind of getting me off the hook on this one. I don't have to look after my mom and dad. I've, I've, and then you say to mom and dad, I'd like to help you, but, you know, I've given the money to the temple. They took the bill and, the, and they wrote it down. They, they lessened the impact of God's word. For others, and they they weren't entering the kingdom of God themselves, and they hindered those that were entering. That's what's going on here with this individual. They were reducing God's word to to fit their own desires. It was sort of a you know a compliance based religion. You 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 could just as long as you did what the Pharisees said, uh, it didn't really matter what the word of God said. They'd tell you, you know what's your what's your bill? Oh, don't worry about that. Just do this. They reduced God's law uh, to a set of rules that they could keep. It was, it was much more convenient that way. You could, you could check off, you know, did this, done this, done this. And, and honoring your, your father and your mother was reduced to just a bunch of do's and don'ts, instead of the principle of God's word. Principles are so much harder, aren't they, to apply in specific cases. It's like, well, what does it mean in this case? The Pharisee was willing to tell you. And, and here was the master, through his son, calling their stewardship into account, and they didn't like it didn't want to dig, didn't want to beg. They had to find their own way out. It's interesting, in this very chapter uh, in in Luke 16, you might have found there's some awkward verses there in the middle, and we don't want to get into them, into the details there of of verse uh, 16, 17, and 18, but he says, look, you know, the the law and the prophets were until John, but things have, you've really constrained things here. You've... uh, you know, you, you've, you've reduced the law. You have, not one jot or tittle of the law is going to pass. Not like you, changing it here, changing it there. And, and, he, and he talks there in verse 18 um, about, about the married state. You know, and they had that all mixed up. They, they had, oh, rules for this and that, when you could, could uh, you know, offer a bill of divorcement. And, and Jesus had to set them straight on that. You know, for them, it says in verse um, 14 there, there, there were Pharisees there, and they were covetous, and they derided him. They got the point. Because in their covetous and and really immoral behavior that they wanted to to justify by the law, they were taking God's word, and they were were playing with it, adding to it, subtracting from it. And that's what this unjust steward, that's what made him an unjust steward, dealing, handling the word of God deceitfully. There's this passage here, uh, somewhere, there we go. In uh, 2 Corinthians two, verse seventeen, we are not as many which which corrupt or deal deceitfully with the word of God, but as sincerity, but uh, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And Second Corinthians four, verse two, uh, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. In the sight of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, these are challenging words. It puts us right into this parable. How many times have we handled the Word of God deceitfully? You know, a little inflection there, a little bit of, uh, you know, taking out a context there. Um, and how many times have we added to the Word of God our own opinion mixed in with what's there just to, just to make it suit our purposes? It's dangerous. And, and we're certainly warned against. Um, adding to or deleting from god's word perhaps we ignore parts of scripture oh we don't like the way that sounds you know that's that sort of we 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 can see this easily perhaps in in some of the uh the christian world where oh that's just paul ranting it's not really you know divinely inspired we'll just ignore that bit okay or there's other parts that oh i don't like that that must be that's sort of the old testament god You, you know that's not the new testament god um no, the, the word of God from end to end, it's all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And, and that's this word bill here. We can't mark it down. We can't, we can't mess around with it, brothers and sisters. We've got to read it and, and, and take it into our hearts and into our minds and, and act upon it. It's interesting that uh, the other individuals in this, um, in this parable, they were called his Lord's debtors. And I'm thinking about that. You know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're in debt. But now we've got to interact amongst ourselves. And do we ever by our actions or by our words encourage someone in an improper way? Oh, it's okay what you did there. And we sort of mark down their debt. Oh, don't worry about it. God really won't be worried about that. And in a sense, we think we're comforting them, but we've actually done them a disservice. You know, we need to rebuke those who, have, who are in, in, in a false position, as it were. We have to do it in meekness and gentleness, but we can't mark down their bill. We've got to uphold the, the scriptures, do it gently, do it in a godly way, use scriptures, but we've got to help each other out. You know, the, the parable about the moat, moat and the beam is classic because obviously I can't help you if I've got a beam in my eye, but what does it say? It says deal with the beam that's in your eye so you can help the other person with their moat. I'm always going to esteem you better than myself, but I'm not going to let you go down a path that's going to, uh, to harm you. We have to, to help each other out, brothers and sisters. Because the alternative is, and that's the irony of this, of, this, um, uh, of this parable here, is that if we mark down each other's bill, we just use the word to, you know, we, we misuse the word and, and, and sort of stroke each other, as it were, and say everything's going to be okay, we're going to end up in everlasting habitations, which we don't want to be in. Have a look at how this goes. Okay, so we read verse uh, 5 and 6 there, uh, and 7. So verse, uh, verse 8, the Lord commended the unjust steward. Now, I suggest to you this, this commendation is, is either a little bit tongue-in-cheek or ironic, perhaps even a touch of, touch of sarcasm, if you're okay with that. Because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. We're going to come back to that. I think there's some really powerful lessons there. And then this sort of, again, I would suggest ironic comment. Verse 9. I say unto you, make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. In other words, you'll end up where they are. And I just ask you. Those that have done, dealt deceitfully, those who have, have, uh, have misused the word of God, where are they going to end up? It's everlasting habitations, but it's, it's not where you want to be. I would suggest to you um, that, it's, that it's the grave. That's, that's where you're going to end up. The wages of sin is death. So he's commended, though, initially in verse 8 here. And, and uh, the, the commendation much, might be much like that of the, the man who buried the, his, his talent or who wrapped his, his, uh, his pound up and, and said, I feared you, you're an austere man. And, and the, the master initially, oh, you think I'm an austere man? Oh, you're right on that, actually. And, and he sort of condemns him based on that. Here there's a commendation based on that. Oh, you think you were pretty smart? You think you, you, know, you, you worked this one out? Let's see how it's going to work out for you. How did it work out for uh, those who had buried their talent or wrapped up their, their, uh, their pound? You know, in this, in this um, parable here, there's no indication that the man's scheme worked. I've often wondered about, and maybe maybe we shouldn't do that in, in Christ's parable. Sort of extend it, extrapolate a little bit. What, what happened later? Okay, so the guy does this deal. Um, you know, I save uh, Andrew here half his bill. So now I'm, put, I'm kicked out on, on my, onto the curb there, and I go up to Andrew and say, you know, would, you, would you help me out now? Remember, I, I helped you out. Would you help me out? What kind of relationship can we have? He knows I'm a cheater, and I know he's a cheater. How are we going to get on? It's, I, I, it, it's interesting, that, in this sort of human dynamic. You know, if we were to, to cheat somebody, whether it was a business associate, a friend, a spouse, well, the person that we've had this affair with, as it were, how does that relationship work? I think of Jacob and Laban. You know, there was two. (laughs) How'd they get on? Scheming amongst each other? Was that a a, a happy relationship? I wonder what happened to this guy when he got out onto the street, and he went went around trying to, like, um, benefit from his deceitful work. And I think in some way that's what his master's saying here. Let's see how it goes for you. You know, you you think you were pretty smart, um, you know. Goodbye and good luck. It does say at the end there that they're going to receive, end of verse 9, sorry, they're going to receive into everlasting habitations. Um, the, uh, the thing I've added in my margin is a little sort of, you know, we add in a word. I put their everlasting habitations, which of course would be eternal death. You remember the connection to the, uh, the um, prodigal son, the wasteful son. Do you remember what happened to him? He went off and he wasted his, his, his inheritance, his substance. He joined himself to a, a, a citizen of that country. I don't need to, to go back to my father. I, I can do things on my own. And he made a deal with a citizen of that country. It's, it's almost like this guy here. He's, he's made a deal with one of his, his, um, his master's creditors, or sorry, debtors. How'd that work out for the younger son who had wasted his goods? Just It's probably in the previous page there for you, Luke 15. Remember he went out in verse 15 and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and sent him into the fields to feed, to feed swine. Um, you know how'd that work out for him? What about all the the friends that he had made while he was wasting his substance? Can you see them? They're there in the in the tavern, right? And his drinks for everybody. Everything's great, all right. And he's making all kinds of friends. But then he runs out of money. That's like, well, where are all my friends? They're gone, just like your money, right? That's we can't we can't assume that uh, that that those that we've you know. Worked with in that, in that environment are going to look after us. And he was left hungry. He was left feeding swine with, with no friends. And he would have stayed that way forever until what had happened to the, the younger son, he came to himself. Brothers and sisters, there's only one way to recover ourselves after wasting our master's goods. There's only one thing we can do, and it's to humbly return to the Father, to get out there and dig, to get out there and beg. It's the only, that's the only solution. Trying to, to scheme our way through it like this, like this fellow did, uh, will, it will not help us. Now, he did go on to say the children of this world are wiser or shrewder, more shrewd, in their generation than the children of light. A little aside here, I'm going to take a little digression from uh, maybe the main theme we've been building up here because I think it's important. Um, I'm having a few difficulties here with the technology. Um, give it one more. Chance. There we go. The children of this world wiser. You know, Paul, the Spirit speaking through Paul draws a couple of analogies. We've got this one here in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-five. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He's drawing an analogy of the of the Olympic athlete, right? The the, the self control, the dedication, the sacrifices that are made to attain superficial, momentary glory. And Paul's saying, you know, we can, learn, we can learn something from them. We want to obtain a crown of life. How much more temperate should we be? How much more focused should we be? You know, and, and yet we don't. We get mi- mix, mixed up in all kinds of things that, that divert our attention from the goal. And he's saying, come on, learn something from the Olympic athlete. Look at their dedication and then model it in, in things of God. He's not saying go and become an Olympic athlete and we shall run the 100-meter dash. Okay, he's not saying that, but there's something we can learn from them. Similarly from the, the soldier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you know, that's willing to make all kinds of sacrifices to what? To serve his commander-in-chief as a soldier, you know? Doesn't have land, perhaps, you know, puts off all kinds of things to dedicate themselves to being a soldier. Well, we're soldiers in Christ. So there is some exhortation there. In some, in some ways, people in this world are wiser than us in their generation. You, you see the dedication and the focus, So I think there's something we can learn from that. Uh, But the exhortation is to apply those things in spiritual ways. So in in Luke 16 here, we're not being encouraged to become shrewd businessmen. We're being encouraged to, to act based on what we know. We know we're going to give account. So what should we do? This man did something. It happened to be a poor choice in the long term. Maybe it did help him in the short term. We're not exactly sure. But for us, brothers and sisters, we know the future. We know what's coming on the earth. So what are we doing about it? What's, what's our reaction to it? And uh, we, we looked at this verse with the young people this morning. It's in uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 11. And, and it's so powerful in its, in its simplicity. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, everything you see, your home, your car, your bank account, your financial portfolio, whatever it is that you can see, it's going it's going to be dissolved. And here's our theme for the week. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, manner of life, and godliness? So, that we can, so we can look at other people in the world and look at their dedication to a cause and say, why aren't we dedicated like that? Why do we get mixed up in all these other things? Why do we sort of meander our way towards the kingdom? So there's a sense in which there's a real powerful exhortation. The other thing that's here in Luke 16, it does talk about being faithful in that which is least, and it and it relates it to the unrighteous mammon, which which is obviously wealth in some way. And it may not be wealth for you. You may be rich in something else. And, and so how are you using that? Um, but if we stick on the theme of, of actually unrighteous mammon, um, it's here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Again, the Spirit speaking through Paul to Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. If you begin to trust in it, and you lose your trust in God, then then that's going to be difficult. What did Jesus say? How hard it is. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, humanly speaking. With God, all things are possible. um, So don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And here's some things you can do. Again, we talked about this with the young people looking at the, the man who wanted to build bigger barns because he had been blessed. Why build bigger barns? Why not just use the same barns and give any surplus to other people? Do good. Be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. See, you've got to dig. You've got to find that foundation against the time to come. Oh, I'm going to be put out of my stewardship. I made a mistake. What am I going to do? Dig a foundation. Ask for forgiveness. Be prepared to make another start. And lay hold on eternal life. Not the everlasting habitations of the world. The so-called everlasting habitations that just end up six feet under. Now it also said here in verse 9, and I figure... I, I read this somewhat sarcastically. Make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Let, let's be very clear here, brothers and sisters. Unrighteous mammon, uh, he says, well, there in verse uh, uh, 13, you can't serve God and mammon. So it must be a play on the words here. This, was, this is the word wealth. Um, it's fleeting. It's temporary. It's basically um, the here and the now. If that's where the way you want to go, Okay, you might make that choice, and we're going to finish tonight talking about choices we need to make. But let's not, let's not um, fool ourselves to, to try and twist this to say it's okay to go after you know, being rich and wealthy. Look at all the things I could do if I had lots of money. That's a dangerous path to follow. Just uh, keep something there and flip over to uh, James chapter 4. Uh, again, Scripture never contradicts Scripture. So make yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness must be said in uh, tongue-in-cheek. James chapter 4. Very, very clear. Verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friend that friendship of the world is enmity with God. So whatever friendship you're making, guard that friendship very carefully. Choose your friends wisely. Remember we saw that with the, the host. Who are you going to invite over for dinner? Who are you going to hang out with? Choose your friends wisely. Make sure it's those that have, have you know, cut off their hand or plucked out their eye in a spiritual way, that, that are, are, are keen on spiritual things. Because as it says here in James, friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't serve God and mammon. If you choose the world as your friend, you've made God your enemy. And if you really want to choose God as your friend, you must see in some sense the world as an enemy. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So let's wrap this up. Back in, uh, in Luke 16. We've got this parable. There's some real challenges in the parable. It's reminding us that, that when we make mistakes, we need to be willing to beg, willing to dig, not trying to scheme our own way. Don't handle the word of God deceitfully. Don't try and, and use God's word to justify what you're doing. Don't tweak it here or there to say, really, I'm okay. And certainly don't say that to your brother Oh, don't worry about that. Cut the bill in half. Don't worry. God doesn't mind. Can't do that. And and there's another principle here. We've been talking a lot about divine axioms or principles. And here it is another one in verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. It reminds me a little bit of that that grain of mustard seed. Just, just, Just start small. Plant that seed. It's a little thing, but it's going to grow. And you'll be able to do great things. Be faithful in even the little things. Don't let them go. Hang on to those things. You know, don't, don't uh, you know, strain at gnats and swallow camels, as it were. Because if you're unfaithful in the, big, in, in the little things, they'll grow to be big things. And then verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I try to do this so much. We try and serve two masters. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Feet in two camps. Whatever the case might be. We can't do it. And when we try to, we just, we just get ourselves in all kinds of trouble and grief. You either hate the one and, and love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we sang together in that last hymn. You want to be in the kingdom? you got to make the answer now. we got a decision right now. Our stewardship is going to be called into account. It's going to happen. Better to get that sorted now, brothers and sisters. Get that figured out. Make a decision now. Who are you going to serve? You can serve King sin. He pays his he pays wages. His wages are death. Or you can serve Christ the king. And the wonderful thing is he gives you a gift of eternal life. There's really no comparison, and yet we, we waffle so often on this. There's a couple of scriptural principles I just want to close with. This one is, is classic. Joshua 24, verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve Yahweh, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Make a decision. Who are you going to serve? The gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods in the land in which you dwell amongst the Amorites in whose land you dwell? Make a decision. Who are you going to serve? And Joshua says, "As for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. I would hazard a guess that many people in this audience would have that plaque, the last little bit somewhere in their home. As for me in my house, we'll serve the Lord. The context of that is deciding who you're going to serve. And what are you willing to give up? The gods of this land, the idols of this land. Materialism. Mammon. It's right there. You can't serve God and mammon. You've got to make a decision. Or this one. Elijah on Mount Baal. Uh, sorry, on Mount Carmel uh, against the, the, the prophets of Baal. How long halt you between two opinions? If Yahweh be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Make a decision. That's what this parable is all about. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to continue to to trust your own ingenuity, um, your own shrewdness, mammon, and wealth, and all that goes with it? Or are you going to serve God? You have to make a choice. This comes from Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I know, Maybe we don't have an issue with finances. Maybe that, that's not a problem for us. But we've all got a problem or an issue somewhere. King sin is trying to reign in your heart somewhere. Grasping, grabbing at you. We can't let sin reign like a king in our mortal body. We've got to make a decision. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Whatever you may be serving, whatever, whatever talent you have, whatever ability you have, don't yield it to, to unrighteousness, the unrighteous mammon. Don't do it. Yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For the wages of sin is everlasting death. We've inserted that because that's where this man was going to end up in the everlasting habitations of those he thought he was indebting himself to. It was just sin. He was indebting himself to sin. He was going to end in their everlasting habitations. The gift of God is eternal life. Just in closing, I'd like you to turn over to Matthew chapter 24. We started tonight looking at stewards. That's what it's all about, stewardship. And we are all stewards in the house of God. We have different roles and capacities. We have different things we can do and and share, and abilities and talents. But we've all been given the, the truth of the gospel message that's common to us all. What are we doing about it? What are we doing with it in service to God? This is the challenge. In Matthew 24, we'll begin in verse 45. Because there's only two types of stewards, brothers and sisters. There were only two sons in the father's house. It's, it's always two. There's a choice. Verse 45, Matthew 24. Who then is a faithful and a wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Just see the focus? The focus of the stewards in God's house is looking after others. Giving them meat in, in due season. In other words, the appropriate nourishment at the appropriate time. Is that what you're busy about? Searching out, seeking out the lost, looking for the lame and the the maimed and the poor and the blind and, and reaching out to them in whatever capacity we have. That's a faithful and a wise servant. He's dug deep. He's laid a foundation. He asks for help when he needs it. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. The day of reckoning is coming. We have to give account of our stewardship. Verily I say unto you that he hath made him ruler over all his goods. You've been faithful in that which is least. I'll make you ruler over much. You've been faithful in just a few things. Rule over ten cities, five cities, whatever the case might be. Just see the point? That's one steward. That's the faithful watching, busy serving others steward. Verse 48, but, oh, brothers and sisters, here the, here's the alternative. There's only two, serving God and serving man. And you can't do both. You're one of the two. But what and if that evil servant, that wasteful servant, shall say in his heart, ah, oh, my Lord's delaying is coming. And he shall begin to smite his fellow servants. He's not serving them. He's serving self. He's abusing them. Can you imagine that? To eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and he'll cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and everlasting death. No hope. It'll be too late. Brothers and sisters, there are only two types of stewards. Which one are you? Thank you.